I've chosen as a topic this morning, suffering and glory. And many of us have suffered at different times, probably all of us, some over an extended period. So I pray that I can be of some comfort and of information this morning. Let's first of all, let's turn to the best part, which is reading God's word. Luke chapter 9, 1039 in the Pew Bibles. Seems wrong to call it a pew, but uh, in, the, in the rack in front of you. And Luke chapter 9, and verse, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private with his disciples, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, one, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Verse 28. About eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, the Greek word is exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Verse 34. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud, a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves, and they did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. I'll just add to that a reading, short reading from 2 Peter, which is on page 1212 in your... Thank you, yeah. I had wondered about that. Page 1212 on your, in the Bible. That's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. And it's Peter speaking. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we hold, told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. God will bless uh, 
that reading to us from his word. Suffering and glory. I've had to ask three questions this morning. The first one has been, was there suffering and glory in Jesus' life? But I thought first we should just unpack the word glory. The glory of God is the sum of all that he is, including his majesty, purity, wisdom, power, faithfulness, grace, and love. In his earthly life, Jesus displayed God's glory, didn't he? In, his, in the beauty of his attitudes, the purity of his motives, the truth of his words, and the graciousness of his actions. John, very early in his gospel, says what Jesus did in Cana was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And years later, you remember that John wrote, we have seen his glory, full of grace and truth. It was only a few days after Jesus had first explained to his disciples that he must suffer and be killed, and that he was transfigured. And we read about that. His face shone like the sun, as Matthew tells us. Jesus' inherent divine glory was revealed. As he was joined by Moses and Elijah, who talked with him about his departure. That word, Greek exodus. You'll see why I mentioned that. That would fulfill all that the Old Testament law and prophets foreshadowed. Commentaries don't say much, but what did they talk about? So here's a couple of questions. Do you wonder, did Moses recall the Passover sacrifice and the Exodus, and Jesus remarked that he was the Lamb of God to bring a greater deliverance? It's possible, isn't it? And I wonder, did Elijah recall that fire from Mount Carmel? And uh, Jesus, thinking about that, desire that his sacrifice would rid humanity of its false gods once and forever. You know, throughout the New Testament, the crucifixion of Jesus is narrated with the utmost restraint and objectivity. There's no intention to exploit its savagery, either to sensationalize what happened, sensationalize what happened or to evoke sentimentality. This may startle you a little bit. I'm going to say that man's cruelty only fulfilled scripture. Atonement required a sinless person to bear God's judgment on humanity's sin. Sin's wage is the death of a spiritual nature. We know the verse in Romans, don't we? The wages of sin is death. But we're usually fairly quick to point out that it's not a a, spirit, a physical death. It's the death of a spiritual nature. This is the death that Jesus died. And I would suggest to you that that's the death that Isaiah 53 describes. Pierced for our transgressions, wounded, uh, crushed for our iniquities. Man didn't do that. That's what God did in the darkness. And we'll be thinking about the darkness in a minute. The Holy Spirit inspired the New Testament writers to focus on where the glory really resides. Who it was that died, his victory over the evil one, 
and his suffering of God's judgment in the darkness that secured salvation for sinful humanity. Christ's glory here is unfathomable. We just can't plummet. When in Jerusalem for the last time spoke of his death, he said the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Paradoxically, his glory was revealed in his suffering. His love and grace was demonstrated as he endured God's judgment, deserved by sinful humanity. On the way walking to Emmaus, Jesus challenged his companions, didn't he? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? After his, Jesus, after his resurrection, Jesus and ascension, God affirmed the glory of Jesus by exalting him to the highest place. And we read of that in uh, Philippians 2. So we can see already that suffering and glory are intertwined in the life and death of Jesus. So let's move on to the next question that I have. How have some questions, how have some Christians responded to suffering? Uh, Nicholas Walterstorff was a Christian theologian and philosopher, and he grappled with suffering after his 25-year-old son was killed in a skiing accident. This is what he wrote. Those who don't love much don't suffer much. If I hadn't loved my son, I wouldn't have this agony. Through the prism of my tears, I've seen a suffering God who loves greatly and so suffers greatly. Humanity's suffering has entered his heart. He sent his son to suffer. There's another person. In May 2006, Nicole Tripp was seriously injured by a car crushing her against a wall. Family life was turned upside down. Her father, Paul, was an author and is an author and counsellor. And we have access to his blog. And this is what he wrote. He said, you honestly can't make sense of it. Suffering transports you beyond your boundaries of reason. It is a kidnapper, blindfolding us and taking us where we do not want to go. However, suffering is also a teacher, showing, showing us there is little that we can control and invites us to find security, rest, hope, and comfort in God. Therefore, suffering is also a liberator, freeing us to experience a deeper comfort and hope that we have never known before. I think that both Nicholas and Paul exemplify what uh, Isaac Watts wrote in his hymn all those years ago. Where reason fails with all her powers, there faith prevails and love adores. The testimony of God's grace in the lives of Christians who have suffered is a forceful confirmation of God's ability and willingness to provide the needed strength. 
Is there both suffering and glory for the Christian? That's my third question. Is there both suffering and glory for the Christian? Suffering was not ordained by God, but he can make it serve his purposes. You remember Joseph, how his brothers sold him into slavery, and I thought that was the last they would ever see of him. But then they had to come before him in Egypt, and they must have feared for their lives. Joseph reassured them, didn't he? He told his brothers, you intended to harm me. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Well, that time in prison, yet to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In the darkest hours of John Bunyan's prison years, he was heartbroken, thinking of his wife and his oldest blind child. But in that time, God forged an instrument he could use. As John poured out his heart to God, God, through scripture, poured comfort into his heart. Without that heartache and pain, John would not have written his book, The Pilgrim's Progress, that has encouraged a countless number of Christians. The American Benjamin Warfield taught theology for nearly 34 years. At the age of 25, he married, and he and his wife went on honeymoon to Germany. During a fierce storm, his wife, Anne, was struck by lightning and permanently disabled. She was paralyzed. Because of her extraordinary needs, Warfield seldom left his home for more than two hours at a time during all the 39 years that he cared for her. No wonder when he wrote on the emotional life of our Lord, the essay he wrote is well spoken of, well worth a read. But what would he write on Romans 8, 28? That's the point, isn't it? We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Well, this is what he wrote. God controls all that comes to those that love him. Nothing can befall them which is not directed by him for their good. We are too weak to help ourselves and too, ask, too blind to ask for what we need and can only groan in uninformed longing. But then he says, God is the author of these very longings and he will so govern all things that we shall reap only good from all that befalls us. Warfield's faithfulness redounded to God's glory. And I'm sure we can say that about our, our brother John today. Our fallen natures and fragile bodies can and do cause us to groan. If God does not remove our suffering, he will supply the grace and strength to endure. In those times when we cannot trace God's hand be sure we can trust his heart. When tested by suffering, the staying power of our faith is revealed. Just to quote Peter, for a little while, we may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
These have come so that the proven genuineness of our, of our faith may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus is revealed. Paul states that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. The magnificence of the revealed glory of Jesus, that, that will greatly surpass our sufferings. Jesus will transform our bodies, won't he? To be like his body of glory. When Christ appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. We await that appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And when John recorded Jesus' prayer in John 17, we know from that that Jesus wants us to see his glory. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we recognise you sometimes allow things into our lives which we find painful or distressing. These may be part of your making us more like Christ. When we fail to understand, we pray that our faith and trust in you will prevail so that we will continue to love and adore you. God of all grace, you will call us to your eternal glory in Christ after we have suffered a little while. Restore us and make us strong, firm and steadfast for your glory. Amen.